Welcome to the PatioBooks.com presentation of Murder at Avedon Hill. My name is P.G. Holyfield. Hi, this is Nathan Lowell, creator of the Golden Age of the Solar Clipper. You can find my books as free podcast downloads on iTunes and at PatioBooks.com. But you didn't come here to listen to me. This is the story so far. No matter what they do, Aramis Cragen and Aaron Pertie remain several steps behind Greta Platt's murderer. Gloria Platt has been killed. Talek Bohr is dead. Lane Nichols has escaped with Father Joris nipping at her heels. And while this has been going on, Marissa is nearing completion of a potion that might save Edvard Avedon or create a threat more powerful than anyone is willing to admit. In Chapter 36, Aramis finds that Father Joris has returned to Avedon Hill. The retired cleric may have lost Lane's scent, but a discussion with Aramis gives Joris a reason to celebrate his return, the knowledge that Greta Platt no longer lies in consecrated ground. After receiving assurances from the Avedon family that they will wait until Aramis's return before using the King's Crown potion, Aramis encounters Head Constable Lewis. He takes Aramis down into the tunnels until they reach an alcove near the Hemmings home. Once there, Lewis shows Aramis his discovery, Greta Platt's journal. Pages that might have helped identify Greta's killer are missing from the book. What is left, however, is a key that unlocks some of the coded entries in the Platt accounting books. The mundane power of knowledge has a seemingly arcane effect on Aramis, finally allowing him to make the connection between the glowing mineral found in the caves near Avedon Hill, events from Cairn's history, and the unexplained amount of gold that appears to be flowing into Avedon Hill. Aramis decides to share everything he knows with Constable Lewis, but before he can even begin, Richard Avedon arrives and ushers both Lewis and Greta's journal off to Avedon Manor, leaving Aramis with one less ally, but with a new plan as well. Now, episode 37 of Murder at Avedon Hill. Chapter 37 The Hunter of Artus, The Icon of Artus, Child of War. The assassin stood behind Theroic, ready to strike. Is your work complete, General? Theroic glanced at his one remaining hunter, bound and gagged. Our work will never be done. My life, however, is yours. Aztica Tylir, Reminders of Iberian. When Aramis arrived at the inn less than a psych later, he found Aaron sitting in what had become their accustomed booth. Lila sat across from him, puffy eyes telling him all he needed to know. 
both got to their feet as Aramis walked over to them. Please, sit back down. Aramis approached Lila and took her right hand into his. Everything is going to be fine, Lila. Sir Aramis, I realize that Talik might not have been the most honorable man, especially if he got himself killed dealing with bandits. Aramis looked over to Aaron, who confirmed with a nod that this was the story being circulated. But he was like a da to me. Aaron interjected. There is good news, though. Lord Avedon sent word that Lila is to take over the inn. Aramis smiled and used a finger to push strands of Lila's brown hair away from her face. Well, now, that is good news. Talek didn't have a family. He kept saying that he was going to find a wife on his trips to the coast, but he never did. He only came back with ideas in his head. I've got two cousins that are of age. I know they're tired of working on the farms. I thought maybe I could bring them here. Let Red do more of the cooking around here if he likes. Aramis nodded. I am sure he would like that very much. He cast a glance over to Aaron. Lila, I stopped by Red's home. He will not be coming in tonight. I hope you do not mind. In any case, Aaron and I will not require much in the way of service later today. A short time later, the two men sat in their room discussing what had happened since they had parted. Yes, after speaking with Lewis, I felt we needed some leverage. I hope he can handle it. Doubt tinged Aaron's voice. He must. Now tell me about the rest of your morning. Aaron handed Aramis's drawing of Gloria's blood-stained carpet back to his mentor. Father Livestone believes he has seen this somewhere before, but he just couldn't place it. He suggested it might be part of something larger, because it means nothing on its own. He told me to say he was sorry, but he'll continue to mull over it. Hmm, disappointing. I feel the same way about it. It is right there, just beyond my grasp. Aramis stared at the drawing. Aramis had already shared what he had seen in Greta's journal. Aaron returned to that topic. Marissa is involved according to Greta's schedule book, correct? What if the doctor didn't feel compensated for her work over the years? But she and Alex were together the night Greta was murdered. What if they killed Greta together? We know there's magic involved here, but we also know that it took someone with more strength than Marissa to carry out these murders. We already know that Alex is unhappy with his place in Avedon Hill. Aramis smiled at Aaron's logic. That is a good theory and one worthy of pursuit, my young prince. He continued to stare at the drawing in an attempt to link it to any symbology he had studied during his life. Magic, religion, alchemy, prophecy, herbology. But it was as if the knowledge hid behind a door in his mind, laughing at him. You can tear down walls in others' minds you cannot access information that should be at your beck and call. <laughs> Old man. What if the murderer wasn't a townsperson at all? Aramis looked up from his notebook. How so? We've been concentrating on everyone in town. Lane Nichols, Talek Bohr, Edward Avedon. But we now know that someone could have gotten in and out of town using the tunnels. Maybe this is more about someone with a grudge against the Platts that doesn't live in Avedon Hill. And the attack on you in our former lodgings. We were getting close, and the killer thought he might be able to scare us off? 
Aramis thought it over. Possibly, but only the townspeople knew about us and our investigation. Aaron's mind had moved on. You mentioned Jilly. Could she have been so angry at her father over his affair with Greta that Jilly took it out on her? I do not believe Jilly Hemming knew anything about the affair until I told her. And her reaction was anger, but not directed at her father. Her anger was with you. No, I believe her anger was at Greta. And while I believe Jilly Hemming could have killed Greta Platt, I do not believe she could have orchestrated the events that have taken place since our arrival. Aaron stood and began pacing. What if Father Joris has been right all along? What if Edward killed Greta? What if Greta rose from her grave and has been wandering through the tunnels? What if it is Greta that attacked me the other night out of some sort of need to keep us quiet about Edward? Or better yet, silence us before we discovered what the Platts and the Avedons have been doing for the last 400 years? But why would she kill her own mother? Aaron sat on the edge of the bathtub and sighed. I don't know. It was Aramis's turn to stand and pace. I do not know as well. And even though I do not believe that Greta walks as a vampire, the fact remains that her corpse is missing. It is time for me to ignore my intuition and consider this possibility. And what about Father Joris? Aramis smiled, but didn't say a word. I saw Father Joris in my first dream walk. He cut off the head of Greta Platt's murderer. Since that moment, I haven't even considered the possibility that Joris is Greta's killer. Just remember that your dream walks can show you threads from the past and the future, but that you cannot tell what is truth and what is dream. So what do you believe? I believe that Father Joris believes he is right, to a fault. But killing innocent women over his belief in the dead rising around him does not make sense. Killing the innocent. Aramis's eyes moved to the drawing once more. Could it be that easy? The monk smacked the parchment with the back of his hand, producing a thwack that made Aaron jump. Come, Aaron. Where are we going? To the smithy. Herr Jar, we need to speak to you. Aramis called to the blacksmith through the heavy oak door that barred their way into the smithy. This is important. Please open the door. From behind the door, Aramis and Aaron heard the voice of Alla Swank, Herjar's apprentice. Herjar doesn't want to speak to you, Sir Aramis. He thinks you don't like him very much. Tell Herjar I know he had nothing to do with any of the murders here in town. Alice, tell him I really need him. A few moments later, Aramis heard the sound of someone removing the wood beam that barred entry to the smithy. It was Herjar that opened the door and walked out, repeating the mantra from the first time Aramis had met the half-orc. I didn't do it. He clenched a fist at his side, but his eyes were sad. I know. Then what do you want with me now? Aramis held his version of Gloria's drawing in his left hand, but he did not show it to Herjar just yet. You said you were originally from Inara. Yes. My mother and I left Inara when I was twelve. You mentioned you lived in a clan. Which one? Clan Mesian. Aramis thought for a moment. 
Western Nara. Clan Messian belongs to the tribe Kanak, does it not? Yes. What does this have to do with anything, Sir Aramis? Tell me if you recognize this. Aramis handed his notebook to Herjar. The blacksmith studied the drawing for a moment before raising his eyes to the monk. No, what is it? Look at it again. Imagine that this is part of a larger picture. Herjar studied the drawing once more. At first, there was nothing. But then, slowly, the blacksmith's eyes widened. Let me get my inkwell. Aramis handed his pen to Herjar, who gazed at it in amazement. Please, Herjar. Herjar shook his head and began drawing on the paper. This what you're looking for, Sir Aramis? Aramis nearly laughed as he took the parchment and pen back from Herjar. You had it turned wrong. Yes, that is it. Aaron leaned in. What is that? Herjar spoke first. Odinarin symbol for Arjun. The blacksmith paused for a moment. No, 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 not Arjun. Aramis finished his thought. Of Artus. Herjar nodded. I bet you see that symbol in some of the etchings at the old temple of Artus, if they hadn't all worn away. Aaron spoke directly to Aramis. Did you know that already? Inara, unless you limit your discussion to the larger cities such as Tanis or Lorinor, is still made up of tribes that are made up of even smaller clans. Most of these clans have moved away from the nomadic tendencies of their ancestors, living in towns and steads that run along the rivers connecting the Cornhold and Theseian mountain chains. All of these tribes trace their lineage back to an apical ancestor, some warrior or mother or shaman that founded the tribe. In many cases, the tribes believe these founders were avatars of one child of Aj or another. Herjar had nodded his head as Aramis spoke. Clan Mesian was directly descended from Eli. The one thing my mother always regretted was that she had to leave her stead. She always felt less connected to Eli living here in Grosh. Aramis continued. There are dozens of clans that claim Artus as their apical ancestor. But 2,000 years ago, when these tribes began appearing, there was no principle of inclusion. Artus was known as Wraith or Tywir. Clan Mishian's founder was named Onomar. Aramis looked up at Herjar. Onomar, who drove the dragon from Mount Irakai and found the Horn of the Eye, giving Clan Mission power over all their enemies. Herjar smiled. Yes. Aaron had tired of the history lesson. He tapped the parchment with his index finger. So what does this mean? Aramis held up his left hand. In a moment, young Aaron. He turned back to the blacksmith. One more question, Herjar. Have you ever done any work for Father Joris? Yes, once. He had an old ring mail shirt. I repaired a few links on it and shined it up for him. And that rod? It was Alice, standing inside the smithy, peering around the door. Yes, Joris brought in a rod once. It was ivory, had symbols carved into it from end to end. But none that I recognized. Why did he bring the rod to you? It has these silver bands. One on each end and another not quite halfway up the rod. I have a silver cleaner that he wanted to borrow. He didn't want to leave it with me. Aramis held up the drawing once more. Did any of the carvings on the rod look like this? No, most of the carvings on the rod were decorative in design. 
But a few near the middle of the rod looked... Or important. Religious, maybe. Alice called out once more. Arcane, more like. But nothing either of us knew. Unless you recognized him, Olus. Hajar looked back at the door. Alice shook his head from side to side, eyes wide, and then disappeared behind the door. A guttural noise escaped Herjar's mouth, his version of a laugh. <laughs> you need anything else, Sir Aramis? Olus may need some tending, too. That's the most he spoke since I knowed him. So are you going to tell me what in Aja's name is going on here? Aramis and Aaron had left the smithy and were heading northwest. I just accepted Father Joris's word that he had been an undead hunter for the Brotherhood of Arjun. That was foolish of me. Gloria obviously could not write out her murderer's name and blood. It would have been noticed and wiped clean. But drawing a symbol, or at least part of one, that she succeeded in doing. So I began thinking about all of the symbols associated with herbology, the arcane arts, even symbols used in the mercantile arena in cases you suggested it was Alex DeWeren that had killed her. Nothing fit. But then I remembered the book you found in Gloria's office. The book with one of the various Anaran symbols of Doppin on the cover. The last time I spoke with Gloria, she realized that we had discovered the secret room connected to her office. She knew I understood something about Anaran symbology. While I do know many of the Anaran symbols for Doppin, there are many more symbols for Artus, as the Child of War is a very popular figure within Anaran barbarian tribes. Aramis pointed to the drawing, still in his hand. I knew I had seen this before, and when I remembered the icon for Doppin, I came to believe this was Anaran as well. But there are so many iconic symbols for Artus, I could not be sure. But then I remembered Herjar was from Anara, and that the blacksmith that had apprenticed Herjar was named Loxvenet, another Anaran name. Considering that most Anaran metalwork includes the etching of symbols and icons, I thought Herjar might be able to confirm my suspicions. Aaron noticed where they were heading. Father Joris. Aramis nodded. Remember that I said it would not make sense that Father Joris would murder innocent women. I said that based on the assumption that Father Joris was an undead hunter for the Brotherhood of Arjun. The Brotherhood of Arjun, even one of their undead hunters, would never intentionally harm someone, Aaron thought to himself. Arjun, the child of protection, but a hunter of Artus. I should have seen it. They continued on as the monk collected his thoughts. The hunters of Artus go back to the time of Theroic. The possible avatar of Artus, the child of war. Right. During the War of Man, the demon and demon spawn of Outworld were turned back at the battle at Ulm by forces led by Theroic, Iberian, and Queen Alicia Llewellyn. Following the War of Man, Theroic... Some say, in an attempt to flee from guilt over his part in the assassination of Iberian, personally led a small army north into what is now known as Anara, in an attempt to eradicate any remaining Tarim presence in Cairn. Theroic drove his army, not caring about himself or anyone around him. After three years of searching through the worst environments of Cairn, the mountains of Anara, the deserts of eastern Grosh, 
only a small, loyal band of men remained at the heroic side. Some contend that it was at this point the warrior priest of Iberian, the Knights of the Rose, confronted Theroic and executed him for his part in the death of Iberian. The men that were left, the ones that followed Theroic until the end, these came to be known as the Hunters of Artus. The various priesthoods that developed after the death of Iberian, worshipping a single vision of the various incarnations of Artus, adopted the Hunters of Artus as their own. But the Hunters of Artus were never truly controlled by the organized bureaucracy that had welcomed them into the fold. They believed in one single vision. Theroic's vision. A cairn that was undead free. The two men were quickly approaching Father Joris's home. His door stood open, swaying in the breeze. Aramis paused, compelled to finish his explanation. After the priest of Cairn successfully removed Artus as a recognized child of Aj, hunters of Artus were officially disbanded, but some still live. And for these men, the war against the undead never ends. Aramis recalled one of the first things Father Joris had said to them. Regrettable loss she was. Greta was a casualty of war that did not need to be. But there will be more losses here. Be sure of that, monk. <sighs> Aramis growled at his own failure to recognize the truth, assuming the rant of an aging undead hunter was only that and nothing more. Aaron followed with an insight of his own. H.A., the, the torn page from Greta's journal, that stood for Hunter of Artus, didn't it? Aramis nodded, too angry with himself to enjoy Aaron's realization. He shook the drawing that was now rolled up like a scroll in his hand. Gloria Platt knew what Joris was when he came to Avedon Hill and referred to him as H.A. Greta used these initials for him as well. And as Gloria died, she made sure we knew it, too. been listening to Murder at Avedon Hill, written and produced by P.G. Holyfield. Please visit pgholyfield.com for more information on this podcast and the author. Most of the music in this podcast generously provided by Shira Common through Magnatune.com, Kevin McLeod through Incompetech.com, and David Beard through DavidBeardMusic.com. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave a review at iTunes and on Podiobooks.com. And become part of the show by leaving a message on the Karen line at 704-315-5884. This podcast is copyright 2007-2008, PG Holyfield, and is released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivative Works, 3.5 U.S. License. <laughs>